What do you think the addiction demon does, like, in his time off? Binge watch House of Cards? <laughs> And I'm Clarice Lockery. And this is the Next Supremes, an American Horror Story Rewatch podcast. And we are back with the first episode of the fifth. And best, ooh, <laughs> controversial <laughs> season, and that is that is Hotel American Horror Story Hotel. The- it premiered back in October 2015 and ran for 12 episodes, starring uh, some of our A H. I can never say A H S. I don't know why I struggle. Some of our American Horror Story regulars: Sarah Paulson, Finn Whitrock, Evan Peters, Kathy Bates, Dennis O'Hare, Mayor Winningham, Angela Bassett, Wes Bentley, and uh, it introduced uh, quite a, a new special star. Because Jessica Lang, this uh, freak show was her last season, so they said, who can we get who could possibly match the supreme energy of Jessica Lang? And they said, Lady Gaga, <laughs> Stephanie Giovanotta. Giovanotti? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what, if we're going to aim high, aim highest of them all. Yes, to Mother Monster herself. Genuinely. And at this point in 2015, I mean, now she's even bigger. But at this point in the culture, there's no one bigger than Gaga. Well, yeah, because she, I mean, had not that unrecently <laughs> collabed with Beyonce, the other mm-hmm. just most famous person on the planet. <laughs> Truly. Uh, I mean, I don't know when Beyonce is going to be an American Horror Story. Make it happen. I mean, I think if I think she'd set up her own American Horror Story. To be honest, I think that's more of a Beyonce move. That's true. That's true. Yeah, because she's so much now like the author of her own, like uh, uh like her own visuals. Oh, Beyonce! Know, Beyonce's yeah. on a tour. She's on a tour. Yeah, and like Gaga is kind of an author, but I feel like she kind of doesn't want to be. Because I feel I th- like she always want to wa- She wants to work with people, and she wants to be directed and things. Yes, I think she's at her best when she's collaborating with someone who is just as intensely creative as she is, and especially when she's collaborating with someone who like complements her skills really well. So her with Ryan, with Bradley Cooper, with Mark Ronson, her producer for Joanne. That whole relationship is kind of documented in that documentary. 
um, which is great. And you kind of can see the intensity of how she collaborates with people there. <laughs> it's been three minutes recording. We've already digressed about Gaga, which will happen a we, lot. <laughs> we have to discuss Gaga. We cannot just like... <laughs> Which is, we cannot just circumvent that. It's a, <laughs> it's a big baller move to cast Lady Gaga in American Horror Story. Well, yeah, because this is the thing. Like, I mean, she'd been in like Sin City <laughs> and Machete Kills, I think, by this point. But this was like her first proper um, kind of coming out as an actor and she yeah. said this in the past that she wanted to be an actor first mm-hmm. that was her actual dream and she just like accidentally oops became um one of the world's most famous pop stars oops <laughs> didn't, didn't mean to become an international pop star it just kind of happened soz yeah so like her acting work up until this point had been very much like a uh, musician cameos i would say but mm-hmm. this is really this doesn't feel like this this doesn't feel like like a stunt I mean, it is a stunt casting, but it doesn't feel like a, you know, there's another cameo in this season, <laughs> which does feel like a, we just put this famous person in, they can't really act, but like, there we yes. go. Yes. You know, this felt like a very sincere and, and serious artistic collaboration. Totally. And I think, you know, we're, we might talk about this a little bit later on, but I think this role is I considered her debut. I've I'm completely erasing from my mind and from history her other sort of little bit pe- little bit parts in other films because this feels like it's a role that is not only designed for her but kind of uses her to the best of her abilities and magnifies the things that are so appealing and charismatic and alluring about her and works you know to benefit and to elevate her talents. So it is stunt casting, but it also knows, I think the show knows exactly what they were getting and how to make the best use of Lady Gaga as an actress. Yeah, and it's so, it's so odd to me that when A Star is Born came out, everyone was like, wow, Lady Gaga can act? Bitch, she and- could act in American Horror Story Hotel. Don't. She, <laughs> she won a Golden Globe for it. She Where did. were you? <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the this is the work that we're doing, Clarice. We are um justifying the creative like we're creatively validating American Horror Story and you know many, not all, but many of their choices. I just wanna say talented, brilliant, incredible, <laughs> amazing, show stopping, spectacular, never the same, totally unique, completely not ever been done before. <laughs> Which uh, is is something that uh, she said about Ryan Murphy, which I find adorable. Accurate. Accurate. Like, she's part of that. She's in on this. She is part of the next Supremes. She would love she our is. podcast if she ever heard she it. Would. She, she will not. <laughs> she will not. But, you know, if it ever happens, you're always welcome in this house. Oh, yeah. Come on the show, Lady Gaga. Please. <laughs> so- <laughs> so let's get on with the first episode, which, as per usual, is a chunky one, a supersized episode, because it's the first one of a new season. It's titled Checking In, and as tradition with any American Horror Story season, the first episode is written by Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk, the show's co-creators, and directed by Ryan Murphy himself. I love this. I love this tradition that he has of like 
just going back every season and setting the stamp and directing and, and co-writing the the first episode yeah it's very like a remember this is mine <laughs> yes i love that energy i think i would do the same thing <laughs> oh absolutely i mean we've kind of already been salivating a lot about the season and it's no it's no secret that it's both of ours favorite hs season but what do you remember about it well phrasing that question <laughs> makes it sound like i've only watched it once <laughs> mm-hmm. when this is the season that i have i always have on in the background and have just watched it um regularly mm-hmm. since 2015 <laughs> <laughs> Should I rephrase that question as how many times have you watched this season? I don't actually know because I I don't often you know watch it from beginning to end. It's mm-hmm. more like a, oh I'll just dip in. Uh, and there's one episode I just it is like we'll get to it when we get to it yep <laughs> so one episode that I just constantly revisit because it's so fun and I think that's the thing about this season mm-hmm. is um it just amplifies everything to the absolute maximum where it is just deliriously fun. I think having Gaga there is, is part of it. I think her present, mm-hmm. her presence is like a, we must up the ante kind of moment for American horror story. And I don't think it's ever been matched since. I, I'm with you there. We've, we've kind of spoken about this before, both off air and, and on this podcast, it's the season that I've revisited the most. Never like quite analyzing it that much, but because I just, I revel in it. It's the season that I most enjoy coming back to for different reasons. It's funny. It's very sassy. It's like all of the, th- all of the historical bits that I'm personally very interested in are combined here in some weird, like <laughs> weird neon tinted g- melange of like, gruesome gothic history it's got the star power and it's also just both very sexy and very sad so depending on which episode you land on and sometimes you know even within a single episode it's incredibly seductive and also just so 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 sad because a lot of the i think the one of the main themes of this season is addiction. Um, all of the kind of American Horror Story seasons have a general overarching theme, I'd say. And as we've been looking through, you know, the season so far, and I think this one is is addiction. And addiction can be interpreted in so many different ways. You can be addicted to people, addicted to, um, you know, blood or any supernatural elements, drugs, um, or even just a toxic behavior toxic place and i think it's i would add to that as well that it's a addiction specifically in the way that it shapes identity Mm. because there's a lot of um a lot of the characters in this i think are struggling to understand who they are without the the substance or thing that they are addicted to Mm -hmm. and it's like it's like the question of who am i if not my addiction yes which is yeah really like emotional thing to explore and it it is sort of subtly masterful the way that it it does all that in just 
while still being the the silliest, most like nonsense thing I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yes. Because you spend you spend so much of the season just like going god this is so dumb like i love it it's so much fun but it's so silly but there is a point sort of near the end of the season where it hits you that you have kind of without consciously processing it have been bonding with these characters in like Mm -hmm. a really extreme way to the to the point that uh the final episode or final episodes of this season like really make me cry damn (laughs) because i really just love the characters so much so that's kind of a perfect way for us to segue into the episode itself and as all of the other season premieres of american horror story it needs to introduce us to all the key characters and some of the dynamics between them so who have we got in this first episode Swedish women. Swedish tourists, yes. They love they love Vin Diesel. <laughs> yes, they want to go to a, a Jurassic Park ride <laughs> and on the Fast and Furious, which I actually have a fact about this. <laughs> oh, go on. Because for a second I was like, mm, is that accurate? Because mm-hmm. there hasn't always been a Fast and Furious ride mm-hmm. at Universal Studios, even though it's one of their most popular properties. Yes. Best franchise in the world. Yes, go on. In fact, Fast and Furious Supercharged, which is uh, the current (laughs) Fast and Furious ride, opened like a few months before this show aired. Oh! The version in Hollywood opened on June 25th, and I think this aired in October. Fun fact. So there are layers to it. The The ride is awful, though. So I would tell those Swedish ladies, just go on Jurassic Park. But even Jurassic Park now, <laughs> they've put in screens. It's not as good as it used to be, but they have the Velocicoaster. So. <laughs> <laughs> but the Velocicoaster did not exist in 2015. So I'm sorry, Swedish woman. Maybe it's better you died in that hotel. <laughs> <laughs> It saved you wow. from going on Fast and Furious Supercharged, which wow. is a fate worse than death. Wow, <laughs> savage. Yeah, did you know there were going to be hot takes about Universal Park attractions? I was not episode? prepared for this, no. I'm I'm also like actually keen to go on the Fast and Furious Supercharged right now, just to check it out for myself. It's really bad, though. <laughs> Who else have we got? We've got Iris, played by Kathy Bates, who's the sort of um what's what's the word for her job? Oh, the receptionist. Yeah, she's the she's the ho- hotel manager, I guess, receptionist. It's unclear. Let's call she her just... manager. She does a lot of things. Yeah, I guess that's true. She has big uh mom vibes. She does have big mom vibes. Suburban mom vibes. She's also very done with everything and has no time for the hipster Swedish tourists. No. We also meet Hypodermic Sally, played by Sarah Paulson. Who's just fabulous. Great outfit, great wig. Great crimped wig. Very angry. I when I dressed as her to go to the London Comic Con once. No way. 
got a lot of people just yelling Sally at me from across the room. I did not realize. Because I, I went going, well, this is Comic-Con. Everyone's going to be dressed as, like, Marvel shit. I can just walk around and it'll be fine. Mm. <laughs> but no, <laughs> a lot of people yelled at me. <laughs> but, like, in a good way, right? Just in a neutral, just, I don't know, yelling the name Sally. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and we don't meet her properly yet, but we do see her very briefly. Um, Liz Taylor, played by Dennis O'Hare. Yes. Well, yes, because there's a, there's a great scene sort of going down a hallway, mm-hmm. which briefly introduces like quite a few of the characters. Yes. There's another one we'll probably meet next episode, so let's not spoil it. But yes. you, you do see them very briefly. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's pretty great because all of that also happens in the pre-credit sequence. But essentially, all of that serves to introduce us to kind of outside of the people that we meet, living and dead. It's the Hotel Cortez, right? That's kind of a key character in and of itself in the season. It's almost like New York because it's it's one of the characters in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) You are right. You are right, though. It is. It is a character in the show. As cliche as it seems to say that, this is in a, a literal context, though, because the idea behind the season is that it's it's the specific interpretation of paranormal activity where it is like buildings mm-hmm. become sponges for trauma. Like that yes. is the idea behind the Cortez. And I think what's very interesting, and we can talk about this as the season goes on, it's the sort of question that we had in Murder House mm-hmm. of where does the evil come from? Is it from the people or is it actually like bleeding out of the walls itself? Because we had this discussion with Tate. Yes. Um, of saying, did you know, was it the evil of the house that pushed him to do what he did? And I think for a lot of the characters in this show, you could simp for that for them in that way and say, Oh, it was the hotel that did it. <laughs> They're innocent. You could, yeah, you could. And I think, you know, this season and that idea of the place being as much a source of power and of and of um influence on the characters and the things that happen as much as it is absorbing the evilness it's attracting it is the same kind of concept from murder house um you know the it's a kind of a a different version of a haunted house or a haunted place and we'll talk about that kind of the real life um basis for this but in general, in cinema and TV, in horror, I find this to be really, really alluring because the thing as well about the Cortez that I think makes it interesting is, and it's very important that it's set in LA in particular, is that it, and the way that it's presented as like, you know, the the entry point, the reception area is this beautiful, gorgeous art deco, all kind of, you know, gold and burgundy colored it's almost like extremely blood blood filled in a weird way like it's very sensual almost but then you go up a few floors and everything's kind of rotten down everything stings everything's moldy and really decrepit so there's also this this idea of like these appearances and this place that 
is built in in this really grand way, but actually is hiding very rotten and unlivable insides. And all these characters that are just kind of either stuck there or they're because they love it and they want to protect it or maintain it. You know what that's similar to? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Speaking of theme park attractions. Oh, God. <laughs> it's the same it's the same idea when Walt Disney wanted to build the, the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> he said that he specifically did not want a run-down haunted mm. house because the idea was that it, it looked beautiful and, and very well kept from the outside mm -hmm. but it's only once you were like trapped within its walls that you understood the, well not evil like mischievousness mm -hmm. <laughs> paranormal mischievousness that was going on inside but it's kind of the same idea <laughs> I mean paranormal evil evil hotel just sounds sexier Clarice than paranormal, yeah, a paranormally mischievous hotel. Cheeky mansion. I want to keep the, like, the best characters for last, but so let's, let's kind of talk about our uh, detective, Detective John Lowe, or as I'm going to call him from now on, and I'm sorry in advance, Detective Wes, because he's played by Wes Bentley. <laughs> <laughs> Although, should we cover very briefly before uh schmitty schmitt schmitt is in this oh yes sassy max greenfield to clarify <laughs> schmitt from new sorry he will never be max greenfield to me he's schmitt <laughs> from new girl <laughs> sassy schmitt <laughs> although i guess the, schmitt was always sassy so i guess he's like sassy addict schmitt uh yeah, Schmidt after he gets kicked out of the loft and dumped by Cece. Oh, Jesus. Schmidt, <laughs> Schmidt in the darkest timeline. The darkest timeline Schmidt is in Oof. this Yes, <laughs> he is. Yes. Let's do that first. <laughs> so He's wearing a snakeskin jacket. <laughs> <laughs> He's bleached his hair. Yeah, it's not looking good. He wants to do some drugs. And he goes into the room to do some drugs. And then, mm, <laughs> I don't know what to describe what happens uh, next. I think the, the very proper way to describe it is he gets sodomized by a demon with a strap-on. But you forgot the bit where the strap-on is the drill. <laughs> yes, this is a very... Uh, I'm going to... Listen, is this a reference to Slumber Party Massacre? Maybe. But it's not it's not pleasant for Dirk Schmidt. I would imagine not. I would no. imagine it would not be a pleasant experience. Uh, and I'm guessing it's sort of like a metaphor for addiction, but the yeah. metaphor hurts physically. Well, literally, like it has a <laughs> a, a drill strap, strap on. on. Well, that oh, that Lord. creature is literally called the addiction demon. Yes, and and Sally comes in because this is the thing I don't quite understand is if what Sally's relationship to the addiction demon is. Well, she's an addict herself. But they seem like they're like friends. <laughs> they seem like they know each other. Oh, I think a... they know each other very well. You know, we'll... Oh no! 
I think we might we we're gonna cover this in the next episode because um, we get to know a little bit more about Sally. But there is there is like supernatural implications here because the addiction demon like is there but isn't there, and Sally is kind of the same, and she's there like sort of egging on Dark Schmidt until he dies. But you can't quite tell whether he's dying from an overdose or because he literally got pummeled to death by the addiction demon, which I guess are kind of the same thing, to be honest. But there's this, there's an odd thing where she says, if you tell me that you love me, it will stop. Do we think that she was lying and he was just going to die and she knew that? So she was, uh, you know, I shooting think, her shot? <laughs> I think she's like... So- clearly a character who is so emotionally starved that's her kink she just needs people to give her any sign of affection oh mine too even if (laughs) (laughs) even (laughs) even if it's like even if it's in the form of drugs or if it's like someone who's clearly lying doesn't even fucking know her but anything like she just needs anything Right, so her thing is kind of separate to what the demon is doing. Yeah, I think they kind of go hand in hand, but they're just different manifestations. And also, I guess, the addiction demon, the way that I interpret it is that the addiction demon is kind of like a creature that's been created through all all the pain and, and suffering that drug abuse has led to on the premises of the Hotel Cortez. So he's like, you know, created from all of the people who have like come to the hotel to shoot up and who maybe have OD'd or who've caused pain and suffering, not just to themselves, but to other people through their addiction. Right. And I guess like Sally perhaps has had this situation happen many times because obviously she, you know, she's hanging out with a lot of drug addicts in this building. Yeah, and because she's also, I mean, I think it's like pretty clear as well from the way that her character is um, uh, designed. Like she's a she's a junkie in this series. Yeah, I guess because uh, it, 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 there is definitely this feeling of like this is a thing that she does. Mm-hmm. Of like she waits for the demon to come out, and then she comes out and you know, tries to get these people to tell her that they love her. Like, this yeah. doesn't seem like the first time that she's she's done this little routine. Oh, for sure not. And also, I don't think she can actually control the demon because I think that's part of the, the kind of the addiction metaphor. It's like, you know, the thing where addicts will say, you know, I can stop whenever I want. I think that's the same with Sally and the addiction demon where they're like, no, you cannot control the addiction demon at all you think you can but you cannot what do you think the addiction demon does like in his time off binge watch house of cards because <laughs> he's gotta go somewhere right just chilling do laundry because he's like covered in like um cotton what do you call it like that that sort of like material that they use like gauze uh like hospital gauze and stuff like that maybe he has to wash oh. it Maybe just like yeah. polishes um, strap on. I don't know. Polishes strap on. <laughs> Probably that. Probably that. Keep it shiny. <laughs> keep it sharp. <laughs> I love it. So, um, 
so we've we've covered Dirk Schmidt. Um, shall we talk about our detective, Detective John Lowe, or who I'll be calling through the rest of the season, Detective Wes, because he's played by Wes Bentley. Just love him. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> Don't Wes, I just love Wes Bentley. He's great. You, I, I feel like his portrayal of Edward Mordrick is bleeding into this. <laughs> <laughs> he was in the hunger games and he had that facial hair oh yeah he wasn't that good for him he's great i love wes bentley <laughs> so what what is his mission because he's like uh he's hunting a serial killer yes because because he's the big fancy detective of the big fancy los angeles police department mm-hmm. and so the first murder that he visits that we see him visiting is again how do i describe this <laughs> a man and a woman in coitus mid coitus yes but they're dead well yes. no the man's alive man's alive but he has oh. no eyes or tongue they've been putting a little platter next to him that's <laughs> <laughs> oh you're right the the woman has and i can't figure out what it is some sort of beer through her she's yes. dead yes um and and detective wes goes in and he's like hmm, no this couldn't have been a jealous spouse uh you can see all the photos all the eyes have been scratched out what it means is that the family have been blind to what's going on <laughs> and then somehow with his like big detective brain he realizes that the guy has been given like the world's longest direction and is still inside the lady that the lady is dead oh so yeah because have he, to take they've been like super glued together i i don't think no i think, I think the implication are. was that he had the the world's most raging boner Right, but the but boner wouldn't last for like ten hours, especially after your eyes and tongue have been cut out of your head. No, but that's what he said, right? He said like he's been filled with um boner drugs. Sorry, I can't oh, remember what maybe. he said exactly. Maybe. So I think he just has the world's longest boner. Okay, and so he's like stuck, and they gotta take him both to the hospital to to boop. I mean, it's. As I guess happens in LA, uh, boner murders, yeah, yes. all the time. <laughs> all the time, people getting murdered, mid bonking. <laughs> <laughs> Got to go to the hospital, get separated, you know. Every day, yeah, usual Saturday, usual Saturday usual plans, Saturday, mm-hmm. usual Saturday for De- Detective Wes. Yeah, uh, and and you know, what do you think I'm doing this Saturday? Exactly that. <laughs> yes so yeah so he's figured out it's like some weird vigilante murder with his mm. big tv detective brain <laughs> <laughs> and um wait i can't even remember how he gets the cortez he gets like a, a phone call right because oh yeah because he's reading little women to his daughter yes <laughs> Which I it made me think of you because you covered it on your on your other podcast. Yes, we also we also read Little Women, but not 
while a serial killer was trying to phone us. Oh. Uh, then he gets the phone call and the serial killer's got that kind of sore voice <laughs> being like, why don't you pick up the phone? <laughs> uh, I'm at the Hotel Cortez. Come yeah. say hey. So he goes to the Hotel Cortez. That's what happened, right? <laughs> yeah, and you know, I, I gotta admit the the John the Detective West storyline was always the one that I kind of semi forgot every time I rewatched the season because I was always like, oh, boring, go away. But he, there is the serial killer in the loose. Uh, all of the crime scenes are like very gruesome, very bloody, um, very dramatic, and John ends up like moving into the Hotel Cortez by the end of this episode as in you know I feel like something the key to finding this killer is in the Hotel Cortez so I'm gonna I'm gonna live here to really find out he's going like full immersive detective investigation yeah and his wife Chloe Sevigny is like yes "Yes, please go away (laughs) yeah because they're having uh they're having some trouble because do we see that in this episode? Um, yeah, I think so, right? Yeah. So they, they're having some trouble in their marriage because their son, they've got a little girl, um, but they had another child, a boy who disappeared. So that is has sent a rift through into the family. So it's it's all a bit, it's very tense. It's very tense with all of them. It's very unresolved. Yes. And the kid's name is Holden. Yes. And he loves to run around in this season going, Holden! Holden! (laughs) It's like 90% of this season. And both of their kids are like very blonde in that really creepy way. Yes. Yes. Like their mommy, Chloe Sevigny, also very blonde. Yes. But yeah. But um, I think should we should we talk about the the main the main characters? Should, yes. Should we talk about Gaga? <laughs> Gaga. Gaga. Can we talk about? I think, I think. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I think we might like easily spend twenty minutes just talking about the scene where Gaga's character is introduced. It's um. I mean, that might be my kink. Oh well, just- literally. <laughs> Whatever that scene is, <laughs> that's it. That, that's what I want. I, I'm not. I'm not. You. You'd think I'm gonna be joking. I'm not joking. I have literally shown that scene on dates. <laughs> I want to be like this is what I want. No, because that would be weird and also like criminal. <laughs> but I think probably like pitching. American Horror Story as a concept, but it's like, yeah, yeah, but we're like, wait, we're like, let me just show you like this one scene. This scene just exemplifies, contains everything that is great about American Horror Story in in like four minutes. Yeah. And just like everything I want out of a guy. I just want a guy to be dressed up really nice. <laughs> and then we just stomp into some whatever location. <laughs> And just look really mysterious. Not a whatever location. A Hollywood cemetery screening of Nosferatu. 
Yeah, I was going I was I was guessing that it would be hard for me at the moment to organize. <laughs> so it'd have to be the Brighton equivalent of the <laughs> The Brighton Cemetery screening of American Not Horror Story Hotel American episode Story. one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we meet Lady Gallagher's character, the Countess, Countess Elizabeth, and her paramour, Matt Bomer. Matt Bomer finally get his getting his due, getting a good role in American Horror Story. I could not be happier. <laughs> and uh, where do we begin? Just everything. Their their space at the hotel, their room at the hotel, their clothes, the music, the way they move. I I don't. It's just. <laughs> You know, there's that meme about, like, the European couple on the ski holiday inviting you for a threesome. Yeah. It's like the goth <laughs> version of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, so I'm looking at my notes as I try to assemble my thoughts, and it's just, like, the beats in this scene, where it's, like, turntable, and neon, like, why are you not having sex right now? The song, She Wants Revenge. Bomer naked in a bathtub with just like great back muscles, a skull ring, a close up of a skull ring, cocaine on like a marble boudoir table, diamond pasties, like Nosferatu at the cemetery screening, and just all of the you know the way that it builds up to revealing Gaga. I love it because it's just these very close up shots of them getting ready. It's like they're going on the prowl on the hunt. And it's just like close up, close up, close up. And everything is so gothy and sexy and neon. And then when you finally see them, you're like, it's too much. I need I need it to be like pieced out for me. I cannot look it directly. <laughs> it's like looking into the sun. It really is. <laughs> looking straight at Lady Gaga. You can't do it. It's blinding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, her like diamond corset thingy i don't even know what the name for that is it just sort of droops it's not lingerie it's just i like well, it's like a harness it's, it's like, like a, a harness, harness yeah. of jewels i i cannot i cannot and the way that when they get to the cemetery matt bowman just like flips out a little picnic blanket oh yeah <laughs> And then what I really love in that scene is where the other couple are looking at them mm. and he like, I don't even know how, he sort of like nudges her coat off, but in like a really like sexy oh, yeah. way. So that like there's a little pop of shoulder. Yes. And then it's like Gaga's just looking at them being like, do you want this? Yes. Yeah, you want this. <laughs> <laughs> Their chemistry is off the charts because I've never seen like a male actor like any male actor simps so much for a female co-star as much as everyone simps for gaga in this in this season in this episode <laughs> and in the entire season because yes. <laughs> there's also in that scene where bomer first clocks the couple next to them it also this is perfectly timed to the music as well this is like the the horniest music video you can imagine and he just like sort of nudges her with a finger like you see his finger move on her coat very ever so slightly and then she turns around and she's like oh yes this will do <laughs> yes I, I cannot have a single critical thought it's just <laughs> like I want to watch it again 
And I think it's just like, it's the way that every movement is so elegant and graceful mm. and everything flows into each other that it feels, it just feels completely ethereal in the way that like, you know, when you're like watching Lauren Bacall on screen yes, and like, there's nothing that she does that isn't like sexy and beautiful and elegant, you know? She well, there like, is, you know, there's a toilet and you still be like, oh, there is one thing she does. <laughs> there is one, not Lauren Bacall, Gaga. There is one thing she does. So I was like, this is not elegant, but you somehow also pull it off. You know, oh, when, and she does the <laughs> kind of like it's the yeah, the, with the, her <laughs> diamond encrusted like <laughs> Catwoman glove thing. Yes, I don't actually know what those those fingers are called, but I'm assuming people listening can figure it out. Yeah, I also don't know what the name for it is, but you know, everybody knows what it means. And I'm like, I can't believe this is Gaga's for big on screen debut is her doing this, <laughs> and it somehow it still works. But yeah, I would argue like that even that motion, it looks beautiful and elegant when she does it. I I wouldn't say elegant is the word, but it looks beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but the key so yes, they look beautiful, they're horny, they take this LA couple back to the hotel with them. And the whole well, the not so twist twist of this episode is that they're vampires so they vampires. stab them in the neck they drink their blood and then they have to think about cleaning up <laughs> <laughs> and i love gaga's entrance like for the sex scene oh where, like, yeah everyone's already like naked and on the bed and they're just waiting for her <laughs> as you would <laughs> She's in like the black veil. <laughs> She's like the Grecian priestess come <laughs> and she whips it off and it's just like little diamond parasties. <laughs> she has costume changes for every single scene. I love it. Uh, yes. So many costume changes and like wig changes as well. Love it. Also, the camera swirling when they're like having their their foursome on this like round bed. Who the fuck has a round bed? Only Gaga. I know. And silk sheets. I love it. And then they're just like they kill them, and then they just sort of smoke and cuddle in bed afterwards on top of these dead bodies. <laughs> well, you know they they tied themselves out. Yes. <laughs> just have a little nap and then we'll do the cleanup yeah afterwards. exactly call housekeeping call housekeeping <laughs> <laughs> so we only really have one main thing to talk about before we move on to our new categories for this season and it's well it's a really big thing and it's two characters so it's Will Drake played, played by Cheyenne Jackson who's a fashion designer who becomes a new owner of the Hotel Cortez and who sells him the property. Marcy from Murder House. Yes. Racist realtor Marcy from Murder House. <laughs> With the devastating detail, did you pick this up? Oh, about Hallie? 
Yes. Yes. The doggy died. <laughs> the dog died. It's upsetting. It's more upsetting than the all the people dying in this episode, to be honest. Oh yeah, that random hot young couple, whatever, I don't know them. The yeah. dog died. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Will Drake. What do you make of of him? Um, I like that he does that thing of the jacket over the shoulders. Oh yes. Very nice and elegant. Mm. Um other than that, not very interesting, but <laughs> right but he's just meant to be like fresh meat right yeah and and he's clearly very instantly enamored with the countess as well yes although everybody is because she's just got those like vampire hypnosis powers yeah and also is played by gaga so you know he's also played by just a credibly stunningly beautiful woman yeah. who who wouldn't fall in love with her but you know. i also quite love the like uh the the meta narrative of gaga obviously being a queer icon in so many ways and such a kind of very since the beginning of her career like very very outspoken ally for the lgbtq community and all like Matt Bomer and Cheyenne Jackson, who are both very out actors, being totally enamored of her in this episode. Like, instantly, <laughs> it's like, you know what? This makes sense on multiple levels. I love it. I mean, this is kind of what I really like about Hotel as well, is that it's like, and we've had, not had this as much in the other seasons, but this is a season where it's like, everybody is pansexual like everybody will fuck anybody in this season and it's just really nice (laughs) and i like it yes and i will always say have always said but i've just done on my other podcast like 20 episodes of vampire films with more than 20 vampire films and like i will stand by this there is no such thing as a straight vampire all vampires are pansexual all of them. But that just, it, it kind of makes sense because the vampire, you know, when you're doing the version of the vampire that is like the positive depiction, mm-hmm. the idea is liberation, right? It's just like, imagine just being liberated of all like social confines and social burdens and expectations. And I think that also like includes sexuality. Mm-hmm. Just being like, you know, like very free you just be like fall in love with anybody have sex with everybody you know absolutely so i think we've hit i think we've covered all the beats of this episode is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to mention i um because this i think is the very very end of this episode we should mention quickly about Donovan and his connection to Iris, right? Yes. Well, Donovan is Iris's son. Today. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a big, biggish reveal. And then we get a yeah. little flashback to um him. Basically, he died. He died. He dead. Yes. So he 
he was a junkie in the 90s with Sally. And we see him overdose and kind of Iris chasing him down and being totally distraught by it. And then she murders Sally. Uh, Sally's a ghost, unsurprisingly. But before she can get to Donovan, he is being he gets turned by Gaga because, well, I mean, he's Matt Bomer. So why wouldn't you? Yes. Although I, again, sorry, another question. (laughs) (laughs) If you die in the Cortez, you become a ghost. Yes. Sally died outside of the Cortez. She died on a property, though. Right, because they own that alleyway? Yeah. Okay, well, that's... (laughs) I think it's the very same principle as applied to Murder House, where, like, if you die on the lawn, it still counts. Remember when, like, um, when Constance tried to drag um, Addie onto the lawn and she couldn't get there in time and Addie died kind of just outside of the the Murder House's property line. So she didn't become a ghost. Okay, because we'll get this. This becomes an issue later on in the season that there's very like <laughs> pedantic rules about what is and what is not the property line. <laughs> I guess it's more complicated because it is a commercial property. Yeah, but so I guess they just they own the alleyway next to it to like put out the bins. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because they own the bins. That's why Sally is a ghost. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, that makes sense to me. So, shall we move on to our categories? Yes. So, as with our previous seasons, we're going to be doing some of the the usual ones, and then there'll be a couple more that are adjusted for the the new season. So, let's start with uh, your top quote of this episode. My top quote is also kind of my my gaga applause moment which oh shit because we haven't said that category yet um wait let me let me cue you in so you can say that um so and we're going to be introducing a couple more that are kind of more relevant to this season in particular so we're going to keep the boma bono award for the horniest moment from freak show because there's going to be a lot of bomer and there's this season is very horny gonna bring back the cinematic reference of the week and we're also gonna bring in the killer of the hour (laughs) because (laughs) there's gonna be a lot of serial killing and in honor of our of our lady we're gonna create a category called the gaga applause moment which will just spotlight our favorite most dramatic most award-worthy lady gaga moment Yes, just Gaga at her Gaga yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so to kick off uh, with one of our regulars, what is your top quote of this episode? Well, I'm kind of torn because my my favorite quote, and maybe my favorite quote of the whole season, is in this episode. But it is also such a Gaga applause moment, like it is a peak Gaga thing so i feel like i want to save it uh-huh but i i would i will do a different quote instead okay. i know exactly <laughs> which one you mean <laughs> i'm obsessed with it uh, <laughs> but i'll do one from iris which i really mm-hmm. like 
when she's talking to Doc Schmidt. Yeah. And she says, well, it's your lucky day. Mama's feeling magnanimous. Yes. It's very good. It's very good. Loves it. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, same as you, I'm going to save my Gaga for later. And I'm going to pick a Donovan quote, which is when they're just after they finished um, eating the couple. She goes like, oh, and you wanted to stay in tonight. He's like, it's not the getting ready. It's the cleanup. Very good. I love it. Call housekeeping. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) What about your favorite fit of this episode? Oh, I mean, it's obviously going to be one of the Gaga ones. Obviously. I think, you know what? I'm going to controversially not pick her introduction scene. But um, there is a moment where the, we kind of don't imagine it, but the Swedish girl's trying to run away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's about to get to the door and and the <gasps> countess slits her throat. Yes. And she's wearing like a white turban, yes. pearl and diamond earrings, and yes. kind of this white, like low cut dress um, yes. with a red leather glove. Yes. And it's just so old Hollywood, beautiful, glamorous. And, mm. and they've got that, you know, kind of beauty lighting on her, and she's glowing and just mm. looks great. I love it. I mean, I love every single one of her outfits on this episode, but I have to go with the. With the introduction one, because of the layers, and it's yes. like I I love the cut of that red droopy coat that she's wearing because it's half coat half dress, and she's obviously wearing like black lace underneath and this like diamondy harness thingy and the diamond glove. I cannot, I cannot. It's just I would. I would love to own that outfit. <laughs> I wouldn't have anywhere to go in it, but it's like I, I just want like I will spend the entirety the rest of my life just trying to find the pieces to make that outfit happen. I bet you could. You could make it. What about the Boma Boner award for the horniest moment of the episode? I mean yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> The the bo the boma bona. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the the scene where the foursome with the the young uh, couple and blood. <laughs> I'm gonna say specifically in that scene when Bomer and Gaga look at each other and they both lift their arms because they know they're gonna like you know cut the couple, and it's that it's that moment. Because all of the sexy bits for them, that's kind of just foreplay for the actual like feeding on their victims. Oh, can I offer a specific moment? But do it. It might be cursed because might. I don't know if this reveals something about me. <laughs> Post when they they they've drunk the blood and then they go in to make out and the and there's like a lot of blood. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I'm not saying I'm into it. It's just very horny. It's ve- it's very horny. And also, it's like, 
they're just two incredibly beautiful people and they're acting it so well. It's just this entire season is extremely erotic in a very like cinematic way, which I will come to in a bit. You'll be able to talk about this to to greater depth with me, but I think it exploits the sexuality of vampires so well and like why we're so attracted to them. Yes. And our next category is the the cinematic reference of the week. There are many. There are many. It's a lot. <laughs> I mean, yes. do I, look, we've got like The Shining, the creepy children of Village of the Dam, but I feel mm. like, again, like you, you are the vampire expert and I feel like you can tell us about some of the more the specific vampire stuff. Listen, there's two... I mean, aside from Nosferatu, which is screening there, and I love the shot of, you know, the Countess against the backdrop of uh, Nosferatu rising up from his grave. Great. Also remember Nosferatu, which was directed by F. F. W. Murnau. It will be relevant. But I think there's two very, very specific references for the whole look of the Countess and also the season itself and the way that vampires are portrayed. So on the one hand, you've got Daughters of Darkness, which is a 1971 Belgian erotic horror film, which is sort of based around uh, Countess Elizabeth Bathory. And I literally, the image and the design of Gaga's character and the, her introduction into the scene is directly mirrored from that film. Even the outfit, like the red lips, the makeup, the um, the like transparent fishnet thingy that's kind of covering her face, that's all in Daughters of Darkness. And the Countess Bathory there is played by Delphine Seyrig. It's also set in this old-timey, old, kind of decrepit luxury hotel in a in a seaside town in Belgium. And she also seduces a couple, but she's by herself there. And and it's this intense, very quiet allure that she has. And that film was a direct influence on The Hunger from 1983, where there's another kind of lady vampire, Miriam Blaylock, I think her character is called, and she's played by Catherine Deneuve. And that is very much 80s. It's very neon. It's very er- like erotic in a soft quarry kind of way where there's a lot of billowing curtains, a lot of slow motion, blood mixed with sex scenes. Um, Miriam, so Catherine Deneuve's character, also seduces. She's there with David Bowie, who's her lover, also a vampire, and they go on the prowl to a club, and like a goth club, and they pick up a couple and then they make out with them and then they kill them, which is exactly what happens in this first scene. But it's shot in an entirely different way. And then the way that she eats people as well and the hunger is literally the same as here where she uses like a little uh, dagger thingy, not a glove, but like a little dagger and she stabs her victims and eats them that way. Again, she becomes obsessed with uh, Susan Sarandon's character in that movie and they've got like this back and forth erotic thing where... She turns Susan Sarandon, but Susan Sarandon doesn't really want to get turned. And visually, both those films are very in conversation with each other. And both of them are clearly like influences on this and are directly referenced. And Gaga's Countess 
is like a mix of Miriam and the Countess from Daughters of Darkness, who was played by Delphine Sarek in the 70s. So it's just like the most, the biggest bisexual vampire energy <laughs> of vampire cinema history, like combined <laughs> into Lady Gaga's performance here just, and the design yeah. of her character. Yeah, like this season's really just very liberally borrowing from horror history. Oh, yeah. So much more, so much more than any other season before. Totally. And even there's uh, the very famous um, opening scene of The Hunger uses the Bauhaus song, Bella Lugosi is Dead, and there's like a performance by Bauhaus in that scene. And it's all like cut between the hunt and the performance in this golf club. And Bauhaus is obviously like one of the key new wave slash goth bands of the 80s. And they use the song in a different scene towards the end of the of this episode as well. So it's also a direct nod to that. It's a good song as well. It's a great song. <laughs> and also, I think the, I mean, it's a slightly lesser reference, but uh, the murder, the like uh, murder boner murder that Detective West has to investigate is like a very much parroted from Seven, I think. Oh, yeah, I would say that whole plot line is very heavily influenced by Seven. Totally. And, like, the sort of fascination, I guess it's, like, the relationship between the killer and the detective as well. Yeah. Sort of, like, very intense, playful, like, maybe a bit erotic, I don't know. And it's using the Ten Commandments here, and obviously Seven used the Seven Deadly Sins as the premise, the guiding pattern for the killer. Yeah. Very similar. <laughs> so those are all the the references I picked up this week. Did you spot any insensitive historical references in this week's episode? Well, shall we talk about what the Cortez is based on? Oh, please. I imagine lots of people know this, but the Hotel Cortez is very directly based on the Hotel Cecil, mm-hmm. which there was a Netflix documentary about it recently. People may have watched it. It wasn't very good. <laughs> and um we will talk about the case that was featured in that documentary at a later episode because it's more directly referenced but the general deal with the cecil is that a lot of bad shit has happened there yep (laughs) and it i think it kind of started off with with suicides that's sort of what was the first shaping like darkness around the cecil the first one occurred uh, on January 22nd, uh, 1927, when Percy Ormond Cook, age 52, shot himself in the head while inside his hotel room after failing to reconcile with his wife and child. And throughout the 40s and 50s, like, more and more suicides were occurring. And I think it was partially to do with, like, kind of the the neighborhood. It's, I mean, it's located in the, the middle of... um. Uh, oh gosh, sorry, what's it called? <laughs> Skid Row. Oh, Skid, Skid Row, Row in, in LA, which is like the very sort of like economically deprived area of Los Angeles. So the hotel historically kind of, well, was was built to be a very like quite a beautiful upmarket hotel, but over the years um, increasingly has been a place for yeah drug users, like in the episode Sex Work, and sadly for people who have made the decision to kill themselves they 
often come to the hotel and it, I think it, it actually earned the nickname the suicide Cecil suicide it's not a very good pun oh but you know but then also there was a lot of on top of that mm. <laughs> top of that is but a lot of murders which is more directly related to American horror story uh supposedly someone while researching the Cecil Hotel claimed that in 1947 Elizabeth Short mm-hmm. otherwise known as the Black Dahlia we've met her before on this yes. podcast <laughs> played by Mena Savari in season one Yes, she was rumoured to have been seen drinking at the Cecil's bar in the days before her notorious and unsolved murder, but probably bullshit. <laughs> but I think it, it kind of adds to the sort of mythology of the Cecil that it would make sense that people would keep trying to connect Elizabeth Short to it because mm. like the Hotel Cecil was kind of like the dark heart of Los Angeles. The one like very famous documented murder thing is that the hotel is thought to have been the residence of serial killer Richard Ramirez, who <laughs> We will also be at a later date on this podcast. It's all... <laughs> the Hotel Cecil is such a source of uh, inspiration for mm-hmm. American Horror Story. Uh, who, yeah, is thought to have stayed there for for a while while he was on his killing spree. And I know that that terrible Netflix documentary, I don't know if this is true, because I don't think it's fully confirmed that he was there, that he would turn up to the hotel like covered in blood. And because of what the Cecil, Cecil was, which was, you know, just the kind of place you would go to, like, do a crime, mm. uh, nobody said anything and just kind of said, well, leave that guy to do his business. Uh, but yeah, and then the Cecil is very famous for, uh, as I said, another case, but I feel like let's save that for a later date. Yeah, we can save that for a later date. Yeah. And on the subject of... Our friend, the Night Stalker, who is the killer of the hour? Well, I kind of, I want to <laughs> <laughs> use this to talk about, like, kind of another historical Ooh, reference. But it's not really a historical reference. It's more mm-hmm. of a urban legend connection. Because the very first scene with the Swedish ladies, when they get into the hotel room, there's a very foul smell. Mm-hmm. They're trying to figure out what it is. And eventually they realize that the mattress has been sewn together mm-hmm. and they cut the mattress open and boom, like gross, creepy man pops out and goes, <laughs> it's literally what he says. <laughs> yeah. It's literally, he literally says that. And so that is nodding to an urban legend about there's the story of a vacationing couple and they're in Las Vegas and there's the really terrible smell and they eventually discover that there's a body hidden under the bed. Mm-hmm. Now, that particular story is not true, but there have been many instances of bodies found under beds in hotels and motels with guests having slept on the mattress before the body was discovered what for example in the 10th of july 2003 a man checked into the capri motel just east of downtown kansas city and began complaining about a foul odor in his room management told him nothing could be done about the problem but he spent three nights in his room before checking out because he could no longer stand the smell when the cleaning staff came in to make up the room on the 13th of july they lifted the mattress and underneath found a man's body in an advanced stage of decomposition Ew. 
And I was, I was on the page for this and there was like five or six similar instances of like very similar stories of someone checks into her hotel room, complains about a very foul smell. The management says, fuck you. <laughs> they sleep for a night, a couple of nights, check out. And then it's afterwards that they find that there is a body underneath the bed hmm. or either underneath the bed or between, I think, the mattress or the bed frame. So next time you're staying in a hotel, lift the mattress up. <laughs> always, always <laughs> we'll do that from now on. Have a little peeky just to check there isn't a body in there. And um, I think now is your time to shine. What's your Gaga plus moment? Okay, this is the very last line of the episode <laughs> where Iris discovers Donovan has been turned into a vampire and he's like cradled in Gaga's arms mm-hmm. and she takes off her, sun- her giant 90 sunglasses and goes, your boy has a jawline for days. I like- was literally mouthing <laughs> the words as you were saying that. <laughs> it's my favorite line in the season, probably of all American Horror Story. It's just like... And when now, whenever I see a man with a good jawline, I just think about that piece of dialogue. Yes. yes. I think I might have said that to someone. I mean, what a great compliment. It truly is. Jawlines are very important. Love a good jawline. We do love a good jawline. And everyone on the show has great jawlines. They do. It's a big jawline season. <laughs> Jawline season. <laughs> it's like hot girl summer jawline, jawline season. <laughs> jawline oh, I couldn't agree more. It's just beautiful. Even with the weird wash of the, um, the 90s flashback and her big like 90s bomber jacket, Gaga still looks amazing. And that line is just... You can tell Ryan Murphy wrote this. And like only she could deliver it. Yes. No one else could do it justice. I mean, I kind of know what the answer is going to be like for both of us, but who is the MVP of of this episode? I mean, yeah, the Countess. I mean, truly. Truly. So I think we are done with this first supersized episode. I actually think that we're... This episode of the podcast is running almost exactly as much as the episode of the season (laughs) (laughs) we could have just we could have just acted it out we could (laughs) have maybe we should so what can we expect from the next episode well in the next episode we meet the original owner of the hotel cortez and a bratty model catches the countess's eye i wonder what gentleman will be playing those roles and i wonder if he has a jawline for days a jawline for days oh my god (laughs) stop it (laughs) (laughs) we will be back next wednesday with our jawlines with a recap of american horror story hotel in the meantime send us your thoughts on twitter follow us at the next supremes pod or you can find me on twitter at clarice lou and i am at anna be demented and we'll be tweeting nothing but gifts of lady gaga in a hotel Yes.
gonna fucking tear you apart.